to be or not to be known. The statement to be or not to be, of course, is a famous line, comes from Shakespeare's play, Hamlet, arguably one of the most famous speeches of Shakespeare's line. And the soliloquy itself comes in Act 3, Scene 1, where Hamlet contemplates death and what comes after it. To be or not to be. Personally, I like redeeming things. I don't know about you. Redeeming, getting back things, if you will. I like redeeming things that the secular world has changed from its original intent and bring it back into something that resonates with the heart of God. For example, I like redeeming the world's philosophy that says this, mankind is inherently good, he is only bad as a result of his circumstances and location. Well, I like redeeming that statement to a biblical worldview. No, mankind is inherently sinful and can only be brought back into the presence of God by faith in Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, who gave his life on the cross at Calvary for that sin. Another example would be I like redeeming secular music's progressions in jazz, rock, country, and pop that often tell stories of love or love lost. And I like redeeming that by using those same chord progressions and changing lyrics so that a declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ can be made. So let's take this infamous secular statement and redeem it this morning and next week in this series of to be or not to be known. Because what we have in this passage of scripture from verse uh, 7 through verse 19 of 1 Peter chapter 4 is an outline, if you will, or a mandate is another word, or an exhortation for a Christian's conduct at the end of all things. The way a Christian, someone who will name the name of Christ, is to conduct themselves, especially as they see the end, the day approaching. Peter told his readers that the end of all things is at hand. And each generation, beloved, lives in the shadow of, of, of that fact. And we would be remiss to go, well, you know, it's been 2,000 years. We probably have another 1,000 or so. No man knows the day or the hour. We can see the signs of his soon and imminent return ever so much more today than even 20 years ago or 50 years ago or 100 years ago. And so how is a Christian 
If you are one this morning, and if you are not, may I exhort you to give your life to Christ even during this time together. But if you are a Christian, how is one to conduct themselves at the end of all times? How is one to be known? And so we begin this morning, if I can take your attention back to verse 7, I will try and walk us through six of the 12 uh, ways in which a Christian is to conduct themselves in these end times. To be or not to be known as one in verse 7, as he says, but at the end of all things is at hand, therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. To be serious and watchful in our prayer life. Paul and Luke were on their way to Jerusalem during his last missionary journey. And after being with the elders at Ephesus, he hopped on a a ship sailing. He came to Kos and then the following day to Rhodes and from there to Patera. And finding another ship, they went over to Phoenicia and went aboard and set sail. And when they sighted Cyprus, they passed Luke writing the book of Acts. This is in Acts chapter uh, 21. They sighted, when they sighted Cyprus, all of them passed on by and left to sail to Syria. They landed in Tyre and there the ship was unloaded of its cargo. And we're told in verse 5 that he stayed there Entire for seven days, he and Luke, spending time with the Christians in that community, uh, loving on them, pouring into them the, the truth and the reality of a resurrected Savior. And we're told in verse 5 that at the end of those days, they all accompanied us. Luke and Paul is writing, Luke's writing this, he's talking about he and Paul. They all accompanied us with wives and children till we were out of the city and we knelt down on the shore and prayed. Beloved, prayer is not, being serious and watchful in our prayers is is not restricted to a, a closet or your bedroom in the morning time or your living room we are to be open and vocal as we pray for God's kingdom to be done on this earth. Did you just see that group kneeling down on the shore and praying over Paul and Luke? They were being watchful. They were being serious in their prayer. They knew uh, Paul had been told that if he goes to Jerusalem, he will probably be taken at the hands of of those who hate him. To be known as one who is serious and watchful in our prayers. That's the first of six of these mandates. But we're also to be known as one who, in verse 8, 
is fervently loving one another. Look at verse 8 with me. He says, and above all things, we read it, you read it, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover the multitude of sins. Fervent love, one for another. I looked at Webster's Dictionary again. I love his 1800 version of it. 1880-something. And fervent is defined as uh, being earnestly or eagerly or with great warmth. And so this admonition to the conduct of a Christian is how they're to treat other Christians is they are to eagerly and earnestly with great warmth apply uh, agape love to one another. Because love will cover the multitude of sin. I think that there's a great need for a, a great exercise of love in the body of Christ today, particularly toward one another. And that a grace that comes from a heart filled with agape love for others That trumps law. Grace is greater than law. Grace and love are greater than than protocols. And, and, you know, we do it this way. We don't do it that way. In the body of Christ, if if it's agape love, there should be great fruit from that. And I pray that that's being exercised in our homes. Uh, Those of us who are married with with our spouses, those of who are unmarried, with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Agape love is, is sacrificial. It's, it thinks of the other and not of his or herself. I know that uh, every time I get a little bit challenged in this area, I find myself being asked to do something for someone that I didn't plan to do and that interrupts what I wanted to do. Not that that's happened to anybody here. I get interrupted from doing something that I wanted to do to do something for someone else. Fervently loving one another. Remember Jacob's love for Rachel? You can read it there in Genesis, the 29th chapter. You know, this guy Jacob, he came to the well and he saw Rachel and he wanted her hand in marriage. And of course, she was uh, overseen by Laban. And so when uh, he asked for Rachel's hand, Laban said, well, yeah, you can have her, but you've got to work seven years for me to have her. And Jacob's love for Rachel. Oh, I love this line in scripture. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. There you go. There's a fervent, eager, warmth kind of love. 
I mean, yeah, we can practice this one day. Maybe we could practice it too, but seven years? Seemed like only a few days to him. Oh, that we would, beloved, love one another like that so that when, you know, Susie so-and-so or, or Frank frustration is right in the middle of our lives and walking in the middle of the path of our life and Christ whispers in our ear, I want you to love them. And you go, seven years, Lord? Seven times 70, I want you to love them. Someone wrote it this way. The quote is up there, I think. To fervently love another is to employ... 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, on their behalf. Uh, Be kind, not rude, not provoked, hoping good things and enduring good things with them. To fervently love another. Allergies. So we are to be serious and watchful in our prayers. We're to be fervently loving one another. If you look at verse 9, here's a third uh, way in which we are to conduct ourselves. To be or not to be known as one that is hospitable to one another without grumbling. Oh, let's underline that last word. I think You know, it's probably fairly common in uh, the Christian church to find those that are hospitable. In other words, they're they're willing to kind of welcome. Hopefully you felt uh, like you were being treated hospitably when you walked in the doors. Our ushers greeting you, saying hi, a hug, friends. So, yeah, and then, you know, someone comes over to your home and you invite them over. And, and when they come into your home, they, they feel warm and welcome. But then they stay four hours longer than you thought they were going to stay. <laughs> so we have a perfect example of what Peter is talking about as we look to that event that Jesus was involved in. You remember in Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, Jesus entered a village and there was a certain woman named Martha who welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister named Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha, Luke 10, verse 40, was distracted with much serving. And some of you may be very familiar with the passage or the verse because you remember what Martha does then? She, she's distracted by much serving. She's, you know, Jesus is here. I want him to feel welcome. But there's all this to do and I'm not sure I can do it all. We're, we're right on the cusp of grumbling right then. And so then she goes to the Lord and she says, Lord, 
don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. I think the heart has crossed the line there. There's, there's grumbling, at least in the heart. And Jesus' answer, of course, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. You see, that's the root of grumbling when we're seeking to be hospitable to anyone, whether they are a believer or unbeliever, they're a Christian or a not Christian, it's, it's a couple, it's an aunt, it's a, a grandma, it's a neighbor. When we're trying to serve them and be hospitable, but we become troubled or anxious or worried about how long am I going to have to be this way for them? I love this quote. It's up there. Serving and being critical of others and how, that's supposed to say how. Yes, thank you. How they serve and not serve, how they serve or not serve is grumbling. Let me restate it. Serving, being hospitable, and being critical of others and how they serve or not serve is grumbling. We're not to have our eyes on others to assess, judge, criticize how that individual is serving or not serving. You remember uh, in the book of Acts back in chapter 6 and 7, the church was just birthed and they were finding their way in how to meet the needs of the community. And there were these Grecian widows that there were thousands coming to the Lord, but no one was taking care of these Grecian widows. And someone who saw that went to the the leaders in the church at that day and said, hey, why aren't they taking care of them? You remember what the response was? The leader said to the one who was critical and yet at the same time observing something, said, you look out among you and find seven men full of the wisdom and of the Holy Spirit and then appoint them to this task. In other words, either go serve yourself or go find others that will serve along with you and get in there and stop being critical. Serving and being critical of others of how they serve or do not serve is maybe being hospitable, but it's not being hospitable without grumbling. So that's a very clear admonition from Peter to Christians in the last and end times. Serious, watchful in our prayers, fervently loving one another, hospitable without grumbling. I love this next one, verse 10, if I could draw your eyes to it. Read it for you. It says, And as each one has received a gift, minister it, the gift, to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. That's a powerful verse. It says, 
many things. First of all, God is the giver of gifts and talents to mankind. And when a man, woman, or young person comes into faith, comes to faith in Christ, those gifts, talents that God has given them are to be made available or used or ministered to others with that gift. As he says, as each one has received a gift, minister it. You know, remember what the word minister means in the New Testament? Serving. So if you've been given a gift by God, you're to use that gift in serving one another. And so this fourth admonition is to uh, be known as someone who is a giver of the gifts that you've received from God. Jesus said in Matthew 10, verse 8, freely you've received, freely give. To give of your gift, your, someone once said the gifts that God gives will mean that we will use our time, talent, and treasure. Our time, which in these days, man, where's my cell phone? You know, I can just put on a, I need to make a, Give me 15 minutes to do that. I need to make an alarm for what's going to happen in an hour. Uh, oh, my goodness. We've lost track of kind of a casual approach to what happens in the length of one day. Does time ever seem like it's pushing you rather than you're in control of it? It does to me sometimes lately. Like, I don't know if I have enough time. I love Pastor Austin's summary on this, and he'll remind me of it often. He'll say, I'll always have enough time in one day to do the things that God wants me to do. So in other words, I don't have time to do this. Maybe I'm trying to do something God isn't involved in, but time, talent, and treasure. Okay, talent. The gift, another way in which God gives you gifts. And I don't believe we need to do a whole, you know, series and we'll fill out paperwork, find out what your gift is in the Lord. It just surfaces as you're amongst the body of Christ. And so to exercise that gift, whether that's cleaning, cooking, working, administrating, praying, visiting. I hope you're involved in something that is starting to require of you your time and your talent. We get to that third component of our giftings, which is our treasure. Remember what Jesus says, so where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is a very a very giving church. We are overwhelmed at times at how faithful you all are in your giving. But I would be remiss not to exhort you to give beyond that which you believe you can give. You know, our tithes, the word comes from tenth. And so to give a tenth of your income to the church itself, 
But then there's your free will offerings. And all through the Old Testament, there is this uh, example after example of giving free will offerings unto the Lord. And in our society today, our things and our money is often our treasure. We were really blessed yesterday. We had a garage sale at my home for one of our daughters. And she was in a situation where she uh, needed to sell things to acquire some money. And she had things that she had had for a long time. Some of them were a little difficult to, to go ahead and sell. And I don't know what your garage looks like. I know what mine looks like. And I need to go through it because I'm a packer. And I, well, I'll use that in five years. I'll use that in 10 years. Our stuff sometimes is our treasure, but our dollars also sometimes is our treasure. And to be willing to give of your time, your talent, or your treasure, whatever that is, you've received it from God. I mean, really? You think you navigated the whole thing? If, in fact, you are God's child, God has providentially gone before you in your life and provided the means by which you have everything that you have. And so you received it freely, freely give. Remember what Ananias and Sapphira did in the fifth chapter of Acts. Again, the church was was growing. It was being born. I encourage you to read it later today. And so they wanted to offer something, but they wanted to be calculated about how they offered. And in fact, what they did is lied about how much They sold this piece of property for so that they could keep some for themselves. Chapter 5 of the book of Acts. And we read in verse 4 that Peter was telling them, after it was sold, was it not within your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? In other words, why are you just trying to hold back from God? God sees right into the private, private place of our heart of whether I'm withholding or whether I'm freely giving. And maybe some of you this morning need to hear that. I don't know. But God desires that because we have freely received, we would freely give. Paul reminded the elders at Ephesus once again in that 20th chapter of the book of Acts, he said, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who are here with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak and remember the words of our Lord Jesus when he said, what did he say? It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Peter is echoing that many letters later in a time in which correlates with how we're living today. The end of all things is at hand. We're pushing toward this time in human history when Christ is going to return. 
And so all the more reason as we see the day approach that we would be giver of gifts that we have received of God. That we would be serious and watchful in our prayers. That we would be fervently loving one another. That we would be hospitable without grumbling. There is a fifth conduct that comes into view here. If I draw your attention to verse 11, we actually get two from this verse. I'll read the whole verse if you'd like to follow along. It says, If anyone speaks, let him speak as of as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. That in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So the fifth uh, to be this morning, to be or not to be known as someone that speaks about the things of God. If anyone speaks, verse 11, the first portion of the verse, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. What is Peter saying? He's saying that our lips, our mouth, should be filled with ready to talk about God in our life. That doesn't mean that we can't talk about anything else, but it means that in all of our conversations, we should be ready. So if anyone speaks, let him, should be ready to bring in the reality of our relationship with God into that conversation. I was... I have started, bless you all for praying for me. You know, remember last November I had a heart attack. Some of you may not be aware, but then I had open heart surgery, uh, had quadruple bypass, and joined what's called the zipper club. You can laugh, that's a joke. Uh, so you have this scar of a zipper in your chest because they... They open you up and they take your chest and they pull it apart and then they go in there and they take veins from a leg and they, so there, so there. And they did that to four major arteries in me. And I survived, praise God. And not only did I survive, but I started to do okay in my health. And one of the things they want you to do is, is go to cardiac rehab. Now, what happens at cardiac rehab? My my colleague and brother and dear friend, Art Gross, is there as well. Remember what happened to him. Similarly, he had uh, surgery as well. And so he and I go to the same place up at Mark Twain. We don't always meet together. Sometimes we're there at different days or times. Anyway, I was in there a couple days ago, and Art was not there. There was an older gentleman, and I was on this walker. Uh, you know, just kind of a tre treadmill, I guess they call them. And I'm walking, walking, trying to get my heart rate up to what they want to do is they want to get your heart rate up back to prior to the event, uh, to where it was prior to the event. For my age, my target high 
for my age is 127 beats per minute. But when you come in, they take your heart rate, and if it's 60, they only want you to get to 90 on that given day. So I'm on the treadmill, and I'm trying to get my heart rate up to, I think it was 87 that day. I'm looking at it. And I hear this older gentleman behind me, and he's talking with the nurses. And somehow, the, sorry for the long story, but somehow the, they were talking about wine. Wine. And I'm not sure why they were talking about wine, but they were talking about wine. And so this older gentleman mentioned a wine to them named Cold Duck. And he said, you know, you've never, and the nurses didn't ever, had never heard of it. Have you never heard of cold duck? And so, I don't know if you ever heard of it or not, but he yells out to me. He says, hey, have you ever heard of cold duck? <laughs> so, so I'm on the treadmill, you know, and I'm thinking, oh, this, isn't, this could be bad. And, you know, if you've ever prayed, God put a guard over my lips so that I say the right thing or don't let me do anything, say anything stupid, which I'm very well known to do at times. But so I'm treadmilling. I just I turn around and said, yeah, I know about cold duck. And I said, that's what I drank when they would find me in the ditch before I committed my life to Christ. Bring God into the situation. Bring God into the conversation. If you're going to speak, speak of the oracles of God. Right? Every day, anywhere, wherever you are. That's what Peter is saying. Hey, we're at, we're at the end of these things. Don't hesitate to bring your relationship with God into the conversation. Am I proud of those days? Absolutely not. Am I so, God, so glad God delivered me of those days? You bet. Cold duck. <laughs> the psalmist writes in Psalm 10:7, his mouth is full of cursing and deceit and oppression, and under his tongue is trouble and iniquity. God takes very close attention to his children's tongues. How they're speaking and what they're speaking. <clears throat> David writes in Psalm 15, verse 1 through 3, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? In other words, let me paraphrase this for us. How am I doing? I'm going to run out of time. Let me paraphrase. God how can I hang out with you? How can I be close to you all the time? Psalm 15, verse 1 through 3. You can read it later today. God answers and he says, He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. He who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach, against his friend. God is serious about how we speak, beloved. Casual language that doesn't honor him is not enjoyed by him. 
if you're making note, uh, Psalm 35, 27b through 28 says, The Lord be magnified who, is ple- who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant, and, may, and my tongue shall speak of your righteousness and of your praise all day long. One of my favorites is Proverbs 21.23. If you want to write that down today, Proverbs 21.23 says, Whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from trouble. Whoever guards his mouth and tongue. Be someone. To be or not to be known as someone who speaks. When they speak, they speak of the oracles of God. Last one for this morning. Sixth mode of conduct for us as Christians in these last and end times. There in verse 11 also, and I've phrased it this way, be available to be made able by God. Be available to be made able by God. Notice it says, if any one ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies that in all things God may be glorified. What does Peter mean by that, and how does that land in the front room of your and my experience today? I'll put it this way. God is not interested in our abilities. God is only interested in our availabilities. Because he will always make able the one who will make themselves available. And isn't it interesting, sometimes God puts us in the most odd kind of situations to serve him, ways in which we would have never served him before, things we would have never done because we're not gifted in it, we're not educated in it, and God says, perfect. Now you can, I want you to go do that for me because you're going to absolutely lean on me to get it done. And in these end of all things, God is looking, the eyes of the Lord go to and fro, the earth searching who he may find himself so that he may show himself faithful to those who are fully his. Are you in a place this morning on this Sunday, April 30th, 2023, where you're ready to say, God, I make myself completely available to you for you to do in me what you want to do so that I'm able to do what you've created me to do. I think it's a powerful way to start a day powerful way to start your life. Here I am, Lord. Take me. I don't think I can do that. I don't think I'm gifted for that. That that scares me. God says, great. Make yourself available for me. And I I will make you able to do it. Be serious as we close and watchful in our prayers. 
fervently loving one another, hospitable without grumbling, a giver of gifts that you've received of God, speaking always about the things of God and available to be made able by God. Let us pray on these things this week ahead. Let us think intently about these things in these days in which we live. And let's pray that whatever it is God wants to do, having now seen this, having now known that this is what the Lord has said, the end of all things is at hand, so be that we will be a church waiting for a bride, waiting for the groom. We'll be ready for you, Lord. In Jesus' name, will you close with me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Fathers, we bring our time together to a close. We are so blessed by the clarity of your word in our lives. We're so grateful that you make it clear to us how much you love us and that you've even demonstrated that love 2,000 years ago on the cross at Calvary. Greater love has no man than this, but that he lay down his life for his friend. Lord, you lay down your life for us. And as we see turmoil and trouble take even greater heights in these days in which we live, may we be those who are known to be fulfilling these exhortations in your word. And we ask it, Lord, so that you would receive the glory. You would receive the honor. We want you to be blessed, Lord, as we give you our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name.